0: Big fight weekend on the sports gambling podcast networks of shows brought to you in part by MyBookie.ag. Winning season is back at MyBookie and they're offering a 100% deposit bonus when you use the promo code SGP. That's MyBookie.ag, promo code SGP to play, win, and get paid. We're also brought to you in part by the leaders in daily fantasy DraftKings. For a limited time, new users can get a free shot at a million dollars in prizes this week. Don't miss out on the Week 2 action. Enter the promo code SGP to get a free shot at a million bucks in prizes with your first deposit. That code again is SGP and only at DraftKings. We're also brought to you by BetQL. Want to get an advantage over the sports book with the NBA, the NHL, Major League Baseball, or any other betting action? Well, you need to download BetQL, the only app you'll need to make smart bets this season. Head to BetQL.co and enter the code SGP20 for a 20% off discount on your first subscription. That's BetQL.co and the promo code SGP20. We're also brought to you by Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-belt grooming. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SGP20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use our code SGP20. And we're also brought to you by Ace Per Head. Ace is the leader in pay-per-head providers, and they make it super easy to start your own sports book. Plus, Ace is offering up to six weeks free over at aceperhead.com slash SGP. That's aceperhead.com slash SGP. Finally, don't forget to sign up for the Free Roll Football Contest, where we're giving away up to $5,000 for the best NFL handicappers this season. Sign up for free today, sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash contest. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash contest. The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, T.J. Leaves. Yes, ring the bell. We're back in here for your one stop for everything in the world of the sweet science, the fistic art that is boxing. Great to have you with us. I am your somewhat capable host. We're looking forward to another fun show here, not just talking about the fights of now and in the present, But reminiscing about yesteryear, tremendous guest coming up, Hall of Fame referee Joe Cortez, over 150. 50 World Championship fights to his credit as the third man in the ring will be here. I want to reminisce with him about some of the great moments, including some historical fights that took place many years ago this past week. Some anniversaries being held like Ali regaining the heavyweight title again against Leon Spinks. The epic Sugar Ray Leonard, Thomas Hearn's world welterweight mega fight. Mega millions, all the popularity of Leonard. The Motor City Cobra was such a great knockout artist in the early 80s. Those two fought since September of 1981 Joe Cortez will reminisce with me talk about great moments in his career in the ring etc etc as again he's a hall of fame referee and I look forward to talking with him also senior writer Marquise Johns bigfightweekend.com will be here we'll talk about the news of the week uh, including Canelo Alvarez's lawsuit out almost as soon as he filed it on a technicality. We'll explain more about why there will be no rematch for Vasali Lomachenko and Teofimo Lopez in the World Lightweight title fight next month in Las Vegas coming in October. Marquise will have more on why. Why am I thinking like Apollo Creed and Rocky Balboa at the end of Rocky? Ain't going to be no rematch. do one one. Uh, you know that's uh, it's w- it, you know there's not going to be a rematch apparently no matter what happens in this fight Marquise will explain it and then we've got two fight cards PBC uh, fight card on Showtime Premium Cable featuring Erickson Lubin in action against Terrell uh in a showdown for a, a junior middleweight elimination uh, bout. Uh, that one is the main event at the Mohegan Sun Casino, Showtime Cable, and Premier Boxing Champions. Also, uh, top-ranked boxing's card in the Las Vegas bubble, Jose Pedraza in the main event, big heavyweight F.A. Ajagba on the undercard. Marquis will have thoughts on all these fights. We'll look at it from the gambling perspective a little bit. Our friends at SportsGamblingPodcast.com are all about that. We're going to look at those lines from our our buddies at mybookie.ag and go over some of that with a little gambling advice as well. So, uh, again, all of these things will be covered here as part of the Big Fight Weekend podcast. Reminder, if you've not done so, subscribe. Find us and subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts. Subscribe. And and that includes if you found us on sportsgamblingpodcast.com or their network of shows off of their feed. Subscribe away and the podcast comes automatically to you in the preview mode, usually for the weekend as part of Big Fight Weekend with the cards that are coming up. And as always, you can keep in tune with what we're doing on BigFightWeekend.com, the website. All the promotion out of the way. Let's get to the interview with the legendary third man in the ring, Joe Cortez. Special tip of the hat, by the way, to our buddy T.C. Martin out in Las Vegas who helped make this interview possible. Uh, Is great buds with Joe Cortez, the legendary referee, and helped hook him up for the podcast thank you tc my initials brother from another mother let's get to the conversation there marquise johns later on in the podcast let's get going We are rolling along and it's time to reminisce and it's not every day on the Big Fight Weekend podcast that I get to say hello to a Hall of Famer, an International Boxing Hall of Fame member in several different boxing halls of fame, but the biggest one, the International Boxing Hall of Fame, longtime referee, refereed over 150 world championship fights. Joe Cortez is our guest here to give me some insight on the history of the sport, especially kind of a historical week in the sport. Joe, great to have you. Thank you for doing this. It's a little bit of short notice. You were more than willing to come on, so thank you in advance, and I am excited to talk to you.
1: Hello, TG. TJ is really a pleasure, and, uh, you know, I love boxing. It's in my blood. The last time I got a blood test done, they said, Joe, you're positive for boxing in your blood. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable, man. I just love it. I love sharing my knowledge and wisdom, and all my history and boxing with all my fans around the world. Uh,
0: okay, so we're going to lean on some of that now. Uh, again, as I mentioned, you refereed so many different uh, world championship fights. I, I guess the first thing uh, that I would love to ask you, getting the getting the opportunity to, to interview, what is championship fight night like? Because you were in the ring for so many of them. Do you have adrenaline going? Do you have goosebumps going when, there, when there's a big championship fight because you worked so many of them, Joe?
1: Well, let me tell you, to be exact, from what they told me the other day, I have 176 world championship Woo! fights under my belt. And I referee close to 1,000 professional fights in, in, in my career. And, uh, and I think that was low because the box wreck has been turning pro 79. And then I don't know what happened to the first two years. 77 when I turned pro. <laughs> so I had two years, two years missing on my professional fight. But I just started doing my first world title fight until 1982, which five years after I turned pro. My dream was to do at least one world title fight. And my first world title fight was Ivan Pryor against Miguel Montilla, 1982 in Atlantic City. So I pitched myself almost every day. That I can't believe... I've done so many great championship fights throughout my career. It's just like a blessing uh, coming from the sky because I never thought I'd be doing so many championship fights in my life.
0: Uh, It's a testament to how great this man was uh, in the ring as the third man in the ring and he was in there with the names like Oscar De La Hoya or Roberto Duran or Mike Tyson, uh, names that you would remember. He's even got a Sugar Ray Leonard story coming up in a moment that I'm going to prompt him with. He was even the referee in the Rocky Balboa movie with Sly Stallone and Antonio Tarver as the referee in the movie. They had uh, had to pick Joe Cortez. So one of the reasons that I have you here is the name Ali and whenever we say that name, but Muhammad Ali, whenever we say Ali, uh, so many memories, so many things come to mind. So this week is a historical week in that Ali regained the heavyweight title, became champ for the third time, world heavyweight champ for the third time, regaining the title in the Louisiana Superdome against uh, Leon Spinks. As the background, Spinks, the Olympic gold medalist in 1976, had upset Ali, Joe, you know this, had upset him in only his eighth Professional fight earlier that year. They got the rematch together on seven months' notice for September of 1978. And Ali won a fight at that time in front of the largest indoor crowd ever to see a fight 63,000 people. 90 million people watched on US TV live. Joe, when I say Muhammad Ali and moments like that, what comes to mind for you, not just as a former Hall of Fame referee, but as a fight fan?
1: Well, as a, as a referee and fight fan combined, I can tell you that meeting Mahali, Muhammad Ali on several occasions was a great honor. I first got to beat him back in the uh, early 70s, down when he came to Puerto Rico to uh, to fight what is his, uh, one of his last pro fights and uh, he was there at, at the property of the hotel that I was involved with, the El Salvador Hotel Corporation. And uh, I got to meet him there, and we spoke a little bit. I helped him out with the fans, you know, to get autographs for the fans. He and I were inside the ring, and I was helping him. So he'd have to be reaching all the way down, getting the papers for the fans. And uh, it was just a great experience meeting him. Then that I, that I met him again in New York, but I had my youngest daughter, Christine, with me. She was about four years old. And I took her downtown to see Mahabhar Ali at a press conference he was doing, and uh, a media conference. And, uh, and he saw my daughter. He always told out to my daughter. He, he he reached out to me. Uh, he said, hey, let me hold your daughter. He picked up my daughter and held her in his arms. And my daughter was petrified because she didn't know the stranger. <laughs> she didn't know who like, one of the greatest men on this planet. But four, four years old, you know how kids are. They got petrified for strangers. So. But that was, he said, oh, she's a beautiful little girl. God bless her always. I remember those words. And uh, then meeting him uh, on several occasions. I remember the last time I met Muhammad Ali uh, was with there when I refereed Mike Tyson against Kevin McBride in Washington, D.C. And Layla Ali, his daughter, put on the same card with Tyson and Kevin McBride. And I refereed Tyson McBride right that night. But I was have to walk over to Muhammad Ali before the fight. And I shook hands with him. And I told him, Sanders, I saw I, I your daughter, she did a good fight tonight. I read for your daughter on numerous occasions here in Las Vegas. And he knew who I was. He, he didn't speak much, but he kept looking at me. I had a little smile on his face. And, um, you know, he was really getting bad for his health-wise. He would not do that great. But I remember when he fought Leon Spiggs. Leon Spiggs, it's a regular here in my house, but he was really, really good at healthy. A couple of years back, he would come here to my house where I have a gym. I have a professional basketball with was in my gym here in Las Vegas. And Leon's people come over and work out with me. We do the bits. I put the, the pads on. He hit the, he with the mitts. He hit the, the pads. And we do a workout with him like an hour, hour and a half every week. I try to keep him in in good shape and mentally uh, fit. And his old doctor, what they call him, Joe, what do you do with Leon? Man, he is doing so much better here when he comes to the <laughs> clinic. I can't believe how he's be able to communicate with me much better. He responds to everything quick. He wants to be more talkative. And he wasn't like that before he started working out with you in the gym. But the, the, the doctor, Dr. Charlie, Charlie Burnick, came over to my gym. Do I want to come over. Can I come over with you? Too? I said, come on over. No, I will show you the gym. So he came in here, and I put Dr. Burnick in the boxing ring here with me. And I put the mitts on. Uh, the pads that he put the the, the the gloves on, and we were moving to run. I said, "This is what I do with Leon," and I give him, tell him what combinations to throw: jab, jab, right hand, left foot. He would do just that. Any point I would tell him to do it perfectly. And Dr. Burdick, he was kind of confused when I told him jab, jab, right hand, left foot. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. <laughs> "I said, well, Leon does it real good because he been doing this all his life. So for him, this is like second nature. He can do it with a, with no problem." The so doctor said, Joe, keep doing that with him because he's improving so much more. He said, you may be able to something that I can work with my patients, you know, because he, he he's doing what what he used to do on, on a regular basis and it's easy for him, so it comes easy. I said, so you got people that come to your place, your clinic, they play golf, they like to paint or whatever. Let them do what they used to do back then. And you see how much a better response you get from them because they can react quicker to that. And he loved it. He said, Joe, I think you're onto something. I like the idea. And uh, and Leon, you know, unfortunately, he's not doing too well right now, health wise. he's Not right. doing too good, but uh, but yeah, Leon, we talked about the days. where he said, "Joe, I kicked Muhammad Ali's ass." You know. <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Yeah, you sure did the first time around, You sure did." You know, and I remember he was uh, just two years out of the, uh, out of the Olympics, and uh, he was he, uh, for Muhammad Ali went on his eighth, yeah, seventh pro fight on his belt. He got into the ring with Muhammad Ali for his eighth pro fight and be Muhammad Ali. You know, who can say they beat Muhammad Ali? Not many people can say that. But uh, Spinks, you know, Michael, uh, Leon Spinks, uh, he has a brother, Leo, uh, Michael Spinks, who also became heavyweight champion of the world when he beat the uh, aging uh, Larry Holmes. But then uh, they had to the rematch again, of which I was the judge. And uh, I gave the fight, the fight to, to Holmes. at the rematch. The two other judges... Went against me. They gave it to Spinks. So Spinks, Michael uh, Sphinx, we get a title. But Leo Spinks is a man we're talking about right now. Who's a, a gentleman. Who, uh, what a loving, caring guy. He loves to sing. He loves to dance. He just so, uh, when you put him in, the, in that in that circle of people dancing, they singing, he knows all the songs, all the words, and he can, he got some moves. He can dance, <laughs> you know. But uh but when he got in there with Muhammad Ali seven months later after the first time he lost out the rematch, had ever regained the title again. And uh, I remember Tony Orlando, the singer, Tony Orlando, who was the best man uh, Baham- uh Leon Speaks wedding when he got married to Brenda and uh ne- De- uh Brenda's from uh, Nebraska and so Tony uh, uh, Orlando knew Leon and Leon asked him would he be the best man that he we- at his wedding. And Tony Orlando accepted. One day I got a phone call from Tony Orlando saying, hey, Joe, uh, Tony Orlando here. said, hey, how you doing, buddy? He said, yeah, Leo told me that you would be calling me. He said, yeah, Joe, I'm a big fan. I, I've been following you for years. And I want to see if you can help me with something. I said, what's up, Tony? He said, Joe, Leo speaks, beat Muhammad Ali. He's He was a, a Olympic heavyweight champion of the world known throughout the world some of the biggest crowds in back of history. When he fought Muhammad Ali or watched the fight, You say was 90 billion. And uh, a lot, the largest indoor crowd to the time, he saw about 1,000. And I, I said, yeah, yeah. He said, Joe, what can you do? He said, you're inducted into the Hall of Fame. You're a referee. He said, I respect that. That's great. But Leah speaks and he says, I feel belongs in the Hall of Fame. It's a national Hall of Fame. And then they can't induct him because they say you have to defend your title so many times, and he, only, he didn't. He only defended his title once, and he lost it. So that's a criteria. At the International Hall of Fame, you have to defend your title, I think it's five times, before you be qualified to be uh, inducted to the Hall of Fame. And, uh, he, yes, he beat Muhammad Ali. Yes, he's very famous and whatnot, but uh, he doesn't qualify. I said, Tony, I'm going to try to talk with Ed Brophy, the executive director, and you fans out there listening, also, you can try to uh, contact the International Boxing Hall of Fame in Catastrophe, New York, Ed Brophy, who's the director, and talk and see if they can create some kind of a category. And if it was up to me, I would create uh, a legendary category. And that's where, that's where Leon Smith would qualify as a legend in boxing. You know, he may not qualify. As a champion, I defend his title five times to be to qualify. But uh, they, they let uh, people like myself. Uh, I'm a non-boxer. I've been in a non-boxer category, so I qualify. I was hoping one day to become a world champion, and I didn't do. I became six-time the glove champion, but that doesn't count of the pearls. But they, uh, I would never qualify for the International Hall of Fame as a fighter. I understand that, but I stuck in the back door. <laughs> the referee. They, they, I was inducted as one of the great referees in the history of boxing. So, at least I got into the Hall of Fame that way. But I would surely love to see fighters like Leon Spinks, Tony uh, DeMarco, Gaspar, Indian Ortega. These are all legends in boxing that should belong in the International Hall of Fame. Because when they go up there, the fans are around these guys like if they were the best champions of all
0: time. I love the passion that Joe Cortez is bringing, and you can tell how he feels about Leon Spinks and, and about uh, about what that meant. And Of course, Ali may not have taken the first fight very seriously, may not have trained very hard or known a lot about Leon Spinks and his tactics. He was definitely ready the second time, and again, the anniversary of that fight was earlier this week at the time we're talking with Joe Cortez here on the Big Fight Weekend. Hall of Fame referee, the third man in with some of the uh, memorable moments, the Riddick Bowe, Evander Holyfield World Title fight fight refereed by this man uh among others oscar de la Hoya, uh julio cesar chavez refereed again uh mike tyson world title fights roberto duran world title fights over 170 of them as he corrects me uh for, of the world title fights for joe cortez uh okay so another great champion two great champions that squared off also an anniversary this week sugar ray leonard Thomas Hearn's world welterweight title fight, that one September 16th, 1981. I cannot believe that fight, Joe Cortez, was almost 40 years ago now, 39 years ago at the time that we're taping. But the one thing that I remember, and I was younger, but the one thing that I remember is how... Uh, popular Ray Leonard was, maybe only behind Muhammad Ali in this country, Joe. You can speak more to this. Leonard, at the height of his popularity as an Olympic champion, a TV personality, commercial pitch man, great fighter, he was immensely popular in the early 80s. And here he was fighting Thomas Hearns, the the hard-punching... Uh, Motor City Cobra, The Hitman, Thomas Hearns. This was a phenomenal, hyped fight with non-heavyweights. It's one of the biggest, most hyped fights of non-heavyweights that anybody uh, could ever uh, recall or talk about in the early 80s. What do you want to say about that? Because Leonard eventually came out on top in a fight that he was losing with a late TKO stoppage, but it had phenomenal interest, Joe, when it wasn't a heavyweight title fight.
1: Yes, it was a great fight here in Los Nevada and I remember watching it on TV. I was still uh, residing back east in New York, and uh, I remember the great uh, referee Davey Pearl. Yes, who was only about he was about five six in height. He was not that big as a referee, but uh, uh, but he did what he was doing in that ring. And I remember, I think it was if I'm mistaken, you can correct me on that. I think it was uh, the the, the 13th round or, or, or that that, that uh, the fight was at the referee, David Pearl, stopped the fight. And Chigwey uh, uh, Leonard being victorious in that event. But it was a great fight back and forth. And uh, I remember Chigwey Leonard with his his flash that he had, his charisma, his speed, his boxing skills, his punching ability. He had it all, you know. But Tommy, Tommy Hearns was a big tall. He was about 6'2" in height and uh, had the longest reach baby, like a 76, 75 inch reach. He had all the boxing skill. He was a hell of a puncher. And uh, Emmanuel Stewart, who was his trainer, uh, was uh, was at his corner. And uh, I remember Angelo Duddy working the corner for uh, Sugar Ray Leonard. Angelo Duddy was also Muhammad Ali's trainer, as you all know. But uh, Sugar Ray Leonard uh, really had, had it all. He had the skills. But when he won the Olympics, he was here. He was so charismatic that people loved him. He just had it all. And uh, it's, it's hard to believe there's already 39 years. And when I see Shilwell Leonard, uh, I see him at least once a year. And after I see him, he's so, 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 he's still, he still sparkles. You know, he's amazing. Sure. His charm, his intelligence, his carry away with the fans. You never, him, never say those no to a fan. Of taking a picture or citing an autograph, Sugar Ray was one of the great ones, and I saw Tommy Hearns last year, and uh, and I can believe it, yeah, at the Hall of Fame and with his with his brother. The brother came to the Nevada Hall of Fame when they when they opened it up last year, and uh, it was nice to you know to see. Uh, As a matter of fact, one of the one of my last photos with these guys together. I was a referee in a fight. That would be about eight years ago, a referee to fight at the Mandalay Bay, or it could have been the FDM. I forgot what you I tell. I saw them both together, and the photographers, I told photographer, come here, buddy, take a picture here. I took Sugar Ray Ladd's hand, raised it up in the air, and Tommy Harris' other hand raised it both up in the air like they were both co-champions. What a beautiful photo that is of these two, two legends in boxing. You know, great memories, great fighters, and the fans would always say, uh, learned it, and Hagler fight, they'll, they'll still talk about that fight. And uh, every time I see uh, Bob and Hagler, and if Le- figure of is there, and most likely that's not the Hall of Fame up in Catasota, New York. They said we were all together. We had lunch together, all three of us. And uh, and I remember when they split up one way, one way, went the other, after we had lunch, and uh, Leonard with the me, you know, you know, I beat him in that fight. You know, everybody keeps talking. To each other. You know, I beat him. He talks with so much confidence. <laughs> then I go over to Hagley. They go, you know, I kicked his butt, man. Everybody knows I beat him. Then like it's like a, a a fight that they they still have. They don't want to give up. Who won the fight? Each say that they claim they won that fight, and they both knock each other. But when they're together, you see them embrace each other like 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 they're the best of friends. But when they get apart, they start knocking each other. You know, I kicked his butt. You know, I beat him. <laughs> but I mean, it's such great experiences that I've had with these guys, with these legends. And I mean, it is an honor to, to say I've been in the circle or the ring with both of these guys. I referee, uh, Sugar Ray Leonard's fight, as you mentioned at the early part of the show. I got a great story to talk about. Sugar Ray Leonard, his last professional fight. He had retired a couple of years, but he got an offer to fight uh, Hector Macho Camacho in Atlantic City. Right. So they offered, they offered Sugar Ray a couple of million dollars. But I fight, you know what? And you look at a guy like Kabachi, You say he's charismatic, he's quick, he's out. as young. He was like thirty-seven, and 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 uh, was about forty. And at the time when they fought, and uh, you know, and Lendon probably said, you know, this guy's not a hard puncher. He never was a hard puncher. He was decent, he was quick. what they let it in his mind, just like me right now, my age, I say I feel like I could kick anybody's butt out there. But, you know, <laughs> but when you really get in that race. You start getting hit with some punches. Everything changes, you know. Everybody has a, has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. You <laughs> That's know? the famous
0: line. Yes, yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. So I remember that in that ring, when Landon started moving around, Camacho started hitting him with some shots. I said, wait a minute. And Landon is not moving the way he used to move before. And then also he had like a little cramp in the leg at about the third or fourth round. I could see a little difficulty moving around that ring. And now, that was, now with that speed that he used to have, in his younger years. So it went into, I believe, it was to the fourth round, and Kabacho hit him with a couple of combination shots, and Lennon got got dropped. And then when he got dropped, you know, I say, I say close to the action, and I, I was surprised I let it go down. But obviously, Kabacho hit him down hard, but it was a series of punches. He goes down. When he gets up, I get close to the action, because my job as a referee is to, uh, is to uh, you know, get closer to them to make sure that, that they don't get uh, get hurt seriously. So when I saw that he was uh he was hanging on, then I said, I know in these buckles of a series of combinations that come out you hit him up against the rope with that without when that occurred, I jumped in and I stopped it. As I held Chigaret Leather in my arms, he said, in my ear he whispered, Thanks Joe You know? And I just held it he was coherent but but he got he was a little hurt but he knew where he was at. Uh, I can't say he was in a concussive episode. He was just... just didn't it was. Take
0: the, if I can interject, it was the end. He was done. He okay. knew he was done, and he was thanking you that he didn't take extra punishment, right, at that moment, right?
1: Right, right. right, right. And, right. and you know what, that's my job. My job is to protect the fighters. I referee Mike Tyson at eight different occasions. And I met Mike Tyson. He said he came up to me when he was 13 years old in New York, and he said, uh, Mr. Cortez, I came up to you. And I wanted say hello. And he said, You told me that if I do the right things in life, I could become heavyweight champion of the world. I said, Yes, Mike, you're right. I, I'm most likely I said that to you. I don't remember you, to be honest, but I remember talking to so many kids in New York, and you were happy to be one of them. And I'm glad you became a legend in boxing, one of the great heavyweights in the history of boxing and heavyweight division. And uh, so, you know, when I talk to these fighters, and I tell them in the dressing room, Okay, I'm here to, to, to first and foremost, safety of the fighters. Second is to uh, you obey, follow the rules. You know, you know I, I'm here to enforce the rules. But first and, first and foremost, is your safety. If anybody gets hurt with your porn or yourself, you know I'm going to be there to make sure that nobody takes unnecessary punishment. You understand, Mike? And Mike will look at me and say, yes, sir. Okay. So, they, you know, he could be the baddest man on this planet, but everybody needs somebody to protect you. And I was there to protect Mike and making sure he didn't get other, take a the show and of course when he had his last fight in, uh, in, in the Washington D.C. against Kevin McBride and I remember Muhammad Ali being there Muhammad Ali was always a big fan of Mike Tyson and vice versa Mike Tyson was see uh, Muhammad Ali and Mike Tyson would bow to Muhammad Ali they respect each other but uh, Muhammad Ali I always thought that Mike Tyson was one of the baddest guys out there and you know uh Mike Tyson, like I said, could be one of the best men on the planet, but the job of a referee is to protect the fighters. And that's what I love doing most of all was uh, I can enjoy the fight because I'm working. I enjoy it when I watch it on TV. Or I'm focused on the safety of the fighters and enforcing the rules. And that's what I love doing and being with these legends. It's always been a great, great best times of my life, and especially now we got the, the, the anniversary of uh, Leonard Hearns mm. and uh, Mike faith of Muhammad Ali. I and mean, it touches a good part of my heart when it comes to those legends in boxing.
0: Well, and this man's a legend, too. You're hearing from Joe Cortez on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. Joe in the International Boxing Hall of Fame in 2011, uh, refereed uh, last in 2012, a Canelo Alvarez fight. Again, he was in with some of the greats. Um, including George Foreman becoming at that time the oldest heavyweight champion ever at 45 years of age when he knocked out Michael Moore. Joe was in the ring that night counting to 10 over the top of Michael Moore. Uh, just a fun quick one about that. Uh, you, again, you're working. You're focused. You're not rooting for either side. Not rooting for history. But as you're getting to eight, and you're getting to nine, and you're getting to ten, to wave the fight off, does it dawn on you, George Foreman just became the oldest heavyweight champion, and I'm I'm part of it. Does the, at what point did it sink in?
1: Well, you know, I don't ever think about myself being part of it. I mean, I just see that I'm nobody got hurt, and that uh, it, it in a way where. A fire was able to, to to get up, and I said, "The doctor said he's okay, Joe. He just got a concussion, but he said, he'll be okay." And but uh, when I looked to my left, and I saw, uh, and I said, 10, you're out!" And I looked to my left. I see George Foreman drop to his knees and look up to the sky. Thank you, guys. You know, and I'm, I'm in the middle of all this chaos going out. All the fans jumping into the ring, the commentators, and the commissioners, and uh, the corner man, This chaos goes out in that ring. And say that, I said, that step back, and I said, oh, wow. I just witnessed something that I never thought would happen in boxing, you know? Because, you know, George Foreman was taking a uh, – he was losing every round with that fight that happened in the 10th round, but he was losing the first nine rounds to the young, uh, in his prime, Michael Moore. And when with, with George Foreman hit him with that short right hand, you know, and he goes out on his back, I said, wow, you yeah. know? But so my job is to send George Foreman to a neutral corner, and pick up the count for the timekeeper. Four. Oh, he, timekeeper was ready at three. I come back at four, five, six, seven,
0: eight. <laughs> He's not getting up. He's not getting he up. Can't can't up. Get right. Up. Nine, <laughs> ten.
1: You're up. Right. I said, wow, the whole place is going crazy. The whole the Thomas and Max, they had like 15,000 fans. And they, they're they going crazy. And it sounded like there was 100,000 fans out, out there yeah, rooting for the the old George Forbes, forty five years old, head all this charisma, he's loving everybody and selling that George Forbes grill. And everybody, yeah, hey, I have a George Foreman grill. George Foreman grill stocks went through the roof that night
0: when mm, he knocked mm, out Michael mm. Bory. You, know? you should know, I'm laughing. I own two of those George Foreman grills. He sold millions and millions for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is he won the heavyweight title again and sold a bunch of grills. Yeah, You're yeah. absolutely right; they were great. I love it. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah I had somebody, I had somebody those grills in my house. <laughs> I'm giving them away. I don't know how much I have about half a dozen at that house, you know. Oh. So yeah, the, the, referee, the not that George Foreman gave him to me. It's just that, uh, you know, pick one up here, one size, a smaller one. Yeah. The medium size, whatever, well, the big one. Love it. I mean, it's unbelievable. They did so well. And I understand he made a good deal. He sold it for a couple of hundred billion dollars.
2: How about and that? he still
1: uh, advertises the grills. He's still involved with them to some level. So, uh, he, he he did pretty good with those grills. And, of course, it was his name behind it and his charisma that people love George Foreman. They wanted all that grill. Nobody ever said, give me a grill. They say, give me that George Foreman
0: grill. Exactly. You know? Exactly. What yeah. a treat it has been to get to chat with Joe Cortez, the legendary boxing referee, still residing in Las Vegas, uh, still quick as a whip with all these fights, all these memories. Boxing Hall of Fame, International Boxing Hall of Fame in 2011. What's the quick story? Who were you standing on the stage with? That was That was Iron Mike Tyson. And who else went in the Hall of Fame with you that year?
1: I got inducted with Julio uh, Cesar Chavez, Sylvester Stallone, Kazuhiro. Uh, I mean, Julio Cesar Chavez, and Berry Berrysey. It was six of us that got inducted in 2011, <laughs> and uh, I, I keep that beautiful picture here in my gym. And I mean, it, it's just a wonderful. It was a great class, and I uh, I was honored to be part of one of the greatest induction classes in the history of boxing. So uh, I mean, I it feel like a dream come true, and uh, you know, refereed all these great guys and them. Of course, you know, Eddie Murphy at the movie stars hey Joe, you know, I'll do the movie, I spy. I wish you'd be the referee by a movie. These are guys that would come to the fight and they would talk, Hey Joe, come me a joke. You know, who's gonna win tonight? You know? I was having a regular conversation with all these celebrities. I did well, another movie with uh,
0: uh, uh, Banderas. Banderas, Banderas and Woody Harrelson. You were playing to the bones referee yeah, yeah. for that big yeah. boxing match. I remember yeah. seeing yeah. you. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, I did that as well. Uh, they, they, people, i told about, there people approach me about uh, doing a uh, doing that movie with them. Of course, all that comes from me doing the big fights. If I was not doing the big fights, I would have never been in those movies, you know, because I don't have an agent. <laughs> say, Joe, we're, we're
0: working on this <laughs> You're talking, right? You're talking to my agent. I am my agent, right? On, uh, uh-huh. on those. Uh, but man, such a legendary career for you. Listen, you were so generous to tell story after story about all of this. Again, a historic week when you're talking about Ali' anniversary of regaining the heavyweight title for a third time. Leonard Hearns, such an epic fight. You can go back and watch those on YouTube and watch the Leonard Hearns. I still remember Angie Dundee, Angelo Dundee, the late Angelo Dundee in Leonard's ear. When with three rounds to go, Joe, with that left eye swelling, you're blowing it, son. You got nine minutes left. You're blowing it, son. And it's almost like it turned a switch on for Ray Leonard that night. Right. It's just it's amazing to go back and remember these things. And you've done a great job reminiscing with me. Uh, thank you. I will thank again TC Martin out there in Vegas because TC's your guy as well. And TC said you got to get Joe on to talk history and boxing on the podcast. If you're going to somebody for history, go get Joe Cortez. Thank you, Joe. What a treat. It was a pleasure to have you, brother.
1: It's my pleasure. Take care. And all the fans out there with this pandemic, the coronavirus out there, all I can tell you is keep your guards up at all times. And you know what? I got a mask around my neck. What I did, I put one of those little chains that I wear for my uh, credentials for the fight. I put, I put it around my mask. I, that, that mask is hanging around my neck. Every time I got to put it on, it's right there. It's on my body. It's hanging like a credential hanging there When I I, I now, Cause I used to Leave my car To go to the store When I'm about to go to the store I gotta turn back To my car oh, I forgot my mask Now I keep the damn mask On my chest <laughs> And around my neck So when I gotta wear it Is on me 24-7 Which is that's the When I go to bed But I got mask Around my neck Wear a mask sure.
0: Wear a mask And let's be, be safe Right?
1: Right And keep your guards Up for those times And remember guys I'm there But I'm firm Touch them up
0: I love it. Joe, thank you. I appreciate it, my friend. Take care, buddy. Still to come on the Big Fight Weekend podcast, senior writer for the website Marquise Johns will be here from BigFightWeekend.com. Reminisce a little bit about Ali Spinks, talk a little more about Leonard and uh, and Hearns in that first epic fight in Las Vegas in September of 1981. What's up with the Canelo lawsuit? Preview the fight cards this weekend. Marquise coming up straight ahead. And as we remind you, Big Fight Weekend is brought to you in part by mybookie.ag. Winning season has returned at mybookie, and that means doubling your first deposit. Whether you're talking about making prop bets, big bonuses, the craziest cross-sport wagers, or just wagering straight up on your favorite NFL, college football, NBA, Stanley Cup Finals games, whatever it is, at mybookie.ag, that's where you want to be. Live sports, betting live sports... All season long, it lives at MyBookie. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs have picked up right where they left off, and the NFL has returned in a big way, and that means action-packed Sundays and huge cash prizes are there week in and week out for the NFL. Get in on all the action and use our promo code with MyBookie, SGP for the Sports Gambling Podcast, SGP, double your first deposit with that promo code SGP for new players up to $1,000. You put 250 in, they'll match it. You put 500 in as a new user, they'll match it. It creates more excitement around the sports you love, the games you bet. Remember the promo code SGP, double your first deposit. Your winning season begins today only at MyBookie. We're also brought to you in part by DraftKings, and it was nice to see everything back on the NFL gridiron over the weekend, and it was only just week number one. There's no better place to get in on all the action for the NFL, college football, and daily fantasy than DraftKings. So to add to this week's excitement, DraftKings has millions of dollars in total prizes up for grabs, and if you haven't tried DraftKings yet, head to the App Store now because you don't want to miss out. Nothing adds the excitement to to watching a game like having millions of dollars of prizes on the line. And all you have to do is download the DraftKings app, sign up, get in, and get a chance to win millions of dollars. DraftKings has already paid out billions of dollars to winners since 2012, so they know all about cold, hard cash. Download the app, use the promo code SGP, and for a limited time, a new user gets a shot at a million dollars in prizes. That includes this week. Don't miss out on the Week 2 action in the NFL, the college football, and more. Promo code is SGP for a free shot at a million dollars with DraftKings. Again, a minimum deposit of $5 is necessary. Eligibility restrictions do apply. You can see DraftKings.com for more details. But right now, go with the leader in daily fantasy. Go with DraftKings and our promo code SGP. We're also brought to you in part by BetQL. If you want to get an advantage over your sports book with the NBA, the NHL, and Major League Baseball back in action, you need to download this app, BetQL. It's the only app you need to make smart bets this season. And they've got some great algorithms, a best bet algorithm that has thousands of data points to give you the top information and the best recommendation on what to wager on. Uh, Whether you're talking about the NBA games, whether you're talking about the UFC pay-per-view this weekend, whether you're talking about the fights that we're talking about on Big Fight Weekend, you go to BetQL, you pick from all of the different uh, data points and recommendations, they're giving you great info, great sharp data to help you make the bet. You can even see where most of the betting public is betting if you want to go the opposite direction. And with BetQL, if you live in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Indiana, Colorado or West Virginia, you can claim an exclusive offer from sportsbooks and use BetQL's data to make the right bets. Again, if you're in Jersey, Pennsylvania, Indiana, Colorado, West Virginia, a special offer awaits you with BetQL. Go to the Apple Store, go to the Google Play Store, download it. Enter the promo code SGP, by the way, and you get 20% off your initial subscription. So even more incentive for BetQL. Remember the promo code is SGP20 and take 20% off with BetQL. And if you've ever thought of owning your own sportsbook but you didn't know how, Ace Per Head is here to help you start it up. They'll provide you with an all-inclusive, professional betting site with all the lines updated up to the second and wagers graded immediately. They've got top-notch customer service going 24-7, some of the sharpest lines in the industry, and plus... Ace Per Head also has live betting and a great mobile experience. You can get started today. Ace is offering six weeks free, by the way. Go to aceperhead.com slash SGP. That's aceperhead.com slash SGP to find out more. We're back on Big Fight Weekend. Now, here's your host, T.J. Reeves. As we do continue along, I do call back in the senior writer BigFightWeekend.com. Love the insight of Marquise Johns to not only go over what we were just talking about with the legendary referee, Joe Cortez, and a lot of the historical aspects of boxing, the most relevant news, and of course, the fights. This weekend, that includes the PPC Showtime card at the Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut and also the top-ranked card in the Las Vegas bubble, both going on on Saturday night. Marquise, good to have you back on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. How you feeling as we head towards another weekend?
2: Pretty good, TJ. One weekend away from the Charlo pay-per-view, but in the meantime, there's some pretty decent fights going on in the meantime.
0: And the Charlo pay per view, I think we've established, is a little bit more than a happy meal, and people are people are surprised by this that it's a little bit more than a quarter pounder extra value meal. It, I mean, what did you think here? So we got plenty of time to talk about that, um, and, and in, in fact, you'll probably touch on the Charlos a little bit when we get to the news. I want to start first with Joe Cortez. What a blast to have the legendary, now retired referee who has uh, literally worked—he corrected me a hundred and seventy plus. World Jeez. championship fights. I mean, if you think about it, if you work 10, 10 championship fights in a year, r- roughly one a month... It takes you 17 years to be in 170 world championship fights. It tells you that how many uh, Joe Cortez was in and around uh, throughout his illustrious career and all the stories he was telling. Uh, in particular, I had him talking around the Muhammad Ali-Leon Spinks two fights in 1978. I know we're going on the way back. But also, mm-hmm. Leonard Hearn's anniversary was on Wednesday of this past uh, week. The epic first fight, which as I said to Joe and Marquise, I want your thought here. When you go back into the history of boxing, this was a mega fight with non-heavyweights just because the star power of Leonard and the literal punching power of Hearns made this a multi-million dollar mega pay-per-view with non-heavyweights, which was almost unheard of in the early 80s unless it involved Sugar Ray Leonard.
2: Absolutely, TJ. And if memory serves me well, TJ. Didn't this fight have a of like an audience of like almost like 300 million or something ridiculous? Like where almost everybody and her great grandma saw this fight. My mom talks about this fight all the time <laughs> because it being, of course, a Thomas Hitman Hearns fight. Him being from the of Detroit, where I'm all from, and the whole family raised in, that was a big thing. And we all thought Hearns was going to win this fight, and we were all proven otherwise on the end of it all. But it was it's, it was a big deal.
0: And it was a tremendous, hotly contested fight where where Leonard was losing throughout the fight. Leonard actually had two big rounds in the sixth and the 7th, but Hearns had controlled most of the fight. And as I said to Joe Cortez, the indelible image of Angelo Dundee in the ear of Sugar Ray Leonard with the microphone picking up the audio in the corner with three rounds to go in the days when they still fought 15-round championship fights, the 13th round about to begin. And he said, nine minutes left, son, you're blowing it. You're blowing it, son. He repeated it. And it's almost like that lit the fuse for Sugar Ray Leonard, who had a huge 13th round, wobbled Hearns, uh, never really knocked him down in the fight. Hearns was always held up by the ropes, uh, and as Joe was talking about before you came on, Marquise, Davy Pearl was the veteran Vegas referee, little small de- diminutive referee, had great control of the fight. He stopped Leonard a couple of times from just bashing Thomas Hearns while he was uh, hung up on the bottom rung of the ropes. Uh, and, a- and eventually, Hearns' refusal to go down in the 14th round cost him. Marquise, because Leonard uh, put a flurry of punches on him. Hearns wouldn't go down. He's wobbly. He's in the ropes, and Davey Pearl had finally seen enough and said TKO. That's it. Sugar Ray Leonard wins.
2: Absolutely, TJ. And it makes you wonder a little bit. Had Hearns decided to go down in that fight, had it probably went all fifteen in the distance, it probably would have been a fight that Hearns probably would have snuck out and away with. Wow. But instead, but instead he he go he he stayed on the ropes. Didn't didn't want you know tough man tough man tough toughing it out. Didn't want to didn't want to go down, and that was. Just, just here, here we are. But and the legend, uh,
0: and, and you can't say enough. I'm a little older than you. The legend of Ray Leonard mushroomed. From that point on, he had already b- beaten Duran in the rematch. The, I mean, beating Hearns solidified him even more, and it eventually led to the uh, tremendous upset six years later of Marvin Hagler, which made him a Hall of Fame fighter once and for all, no doubt, no dispute. But. um Again, they and it's interesting. Hearns wanted a rematch, but there was no rematch clause per se. And we'll talk more about that with Marquise Johns on the Lomachenko Lopez fight coming up. uh, The World Lightweight Showdown. Hearns always wanted the rematch. Cronk Jim, Manny Stewart, they, they wanted the rematch, but Leonard wouldn't give them the rematch until, like, nine years later, right? Like, 1990 is when the yeah. rematch finally happened. And even then, Tommy Hearns, uh, knocking Ray Leonard down, couldn't get a decision against
2: Sugar Ray Leonard. Marquise? Still strange about that, and the fact that it, had to, it was... Leonard had these rematches in the late '80s, early '90s. Of, like I remember, like Duran, like Roberto Duran, three with Leonard being one of them in '89, and then this one with Hagler, with with Hearns, and it's just like, man, like they just. And, and out, of, out of all the four kings in that time, Terry, T.J., Sugar Leonard obviously is the king of all of them, and it's interesting that none of them could take him down for one reason or another, and when they tried, they all somehow bizarrely came up short. The only
0: rematch. Early on in his career was when he lost to Duran. The shocking fifteen rounds where he stood in front of Duran and, and fought toe to toe and fought Duran's fight and Duran wobbled him and hurt him a couple yeah. times and beat him at his own game. And then of course he was ready in the rematch to box and taunt and frustrate Duran to the point of no Moss. No Moss. In that one. But you're right. I mean, he didn't give uh he didn't give Marvin Hagler a rematch. Hagler retired at age 33, never fought again after the loss to Ray Leonard. And it took nine years for Hearns to get back in front of Ray Leonard. So just the history there. Hey, say a few words. We also wrote about uh, Ali Spinks. I wrote about the anniversary of their rematch, which was now 42 years ago. Incredible. 1978. For the late Muhammad Ali to regain the heavyweight title, third time he had won the title, second time he had regained it, had lost to Leon Spinks earlier in the, uh, in the calendar year of 1978, fought him seven months later, beat him, still the largest TV audience on network TV for a boxing match ever, 90 million people, 9-0. Watched on ABC Live. I still Mm. remember being a little guy, Marquise, and being allowed to stay up late and watch that fight and watching parts of that fight. And it was just incredible to watch uh, Ali, an aging Ali, gain the title back and know now that there were 63,000 people there and 90 million watching on network TV. That's incredible stuff to contemplate about The Greatest.
2: Absolutely, TJ. And it's also amazing with that. So 90 million folks, TJ, as you know, as a kid growing up, you got to, all got to sit and watch late night watching Howard Cosell, Muhammad <laughs> Ali, the greatest to have ever lived. Uh, and all, all watching this at the Superdome with over 26 – pretty much in a packed Superdome for the most part. And what, what also was interesting about this fight as well, TJ, which I – looking back on it, Ali's career pretty much was – this was the last hurrah. And like after this, he went on to face uh, Larry Holmes, and we yep. all saw how that turned out. And everything from there was just the end of that. But this was his last chance at it. To be for, and he said history is, as you know, being the first free-time world champion at heavyweight.
0: Well, and and Joe Cortez made the point before you came on that Leon Spings deserves more credit for what he did in boxing. That, uh, yes, he lost in his first title defense to give the belt back to Ali. He lost later when Larry Holmes stopped him. He never won a world title again. But Cortez's point is he's a legend for having beaten Ali and for having been an Olympic gold medalist, and he believes there should be a legends-type criteria category, like a veteran legends thing, he's advocating for that. Do you buy that, that Leon Spinks, and he puts Spinks in a category with two or three other guys that are kind of in the same boat, that didn't win repeatedly in championship fights to to get the Hall of Fame criteria that an Ali would have, or a Tyson would have, or you know, pick one, uh, Sugar Ray Leonard, who we were talking about earlier, Roberto Duran, whoever, Do you buy that about the legends, the veteran legends things that they do in like the baseball hall of fame or the veterans committee does something in the pro football hall of fame that they should maybe consider guys that, that don't have the same championship resume as some of the all time greats? What do you think?
2: No, because at that point, TJ, then it becomes like you're, you're lowering the bracket for it. it's like, well, different, different, it, it, it becomes at that point, how many more people are you going to let into this Hall of Fame? And does it become a Hall of Fame? Or does it become a Hall of Good as the old cliche the old with all these events? And well, I mean, it's history in itself that Spinks is well known for beating Ali. That, that in a nutshell was all you need to know about Leon Spinks. I don't really know if you just need a a, a plaque at the wall somewhere to remind you of that, but... I disagree with you on that.
0: All right. So and opinions vary, that's why we love Marquise's opinions. Weak Sauce Radio on Twitter, Senior Writer, BigFightWeekend.com. We will get to the action coming up on the two fight cards here in a couple more moments. All right, so we won't go on and on, but we do have an update that Canelo Alvarez's lawsuit uh it took a whole lot longer to settle than than uh getting him back in the ring, at least initially here. Uh, so the lawsuit has been kicked out by the judge, interestingly enough. You wrote about this last weekend, that it wasn't even Golden Boy's lawyers, uh, Oscar De La Hoya's lawyers, or the DAZN lawyers. It was the judge himself, Marquise. Enlighten us a little bit more on this, and we'll talk about it a bit.
2: Yeah, absolutely, DJ. The, the, the Florida, the, the nothing. The Los Angeles County District Court threw out the uh, Canelo's lawsuit last Friday afternoon. Pretty much saying that he the, his, his law firm labeled the, the other parties wrong for it, <laughs> which is interesting because the 24-page the, the complaint that was said for – for as you mentioned before in the last podcast, TJ, if you're trying to sue a person for a breach of contract for $280 million and all you can bring to the table to throw it to the judge that you want your money is 24 pages, there may be a discrepancy or an issue here. And the issue that the judge found out was that it was free filed wrong, so he, they have to amend it. He, they, Canelo's law firm has until the 21st to uh, refile an amendment to complain with the corrected parties, which is also interesting as well, TJ. The WBC uh, purse bid for Anvil Yidrum, who has won his chance to, ch- to challenge for that vacant WBC belt against the WBC franchise champion in Canelo, is the 28th. So I wonder if any of this bizarre lawsuit shenanigans is going to have anything to do with this purse bid that's going to go on regardless to make this Canelo-Yildirim fight that nobody yeah. asked for <laughs> come on. Well, come I mean, yeah, it. nobody
0: cares about Yildirim fighting Canelo. And and Dazone has already made it clear that's not acceptable to them. And we talked on the podcast last week here on the Big Fight Weekend podcast that if he, if he Canelo, says to them, let's fight Callum Smith, who's the unbeaten 168-pound champion by the WBA standards, the Brit – that's that's a more premium opponent than Avni Yuldirim yeah. as a as a contender that no one cares about, um, but very interesting. Kind of like back to my McDonald's again on on the happy. This is like not knowing how to order the fries on, on the extra value meal or not, or or you know, do you want fries with that? That's a, I mean, the judge is the one that took it upon himself that said we don't need to go any further. I already know you screwed up what you filed here, and you've got to refile. And let's see if that's what Canelo does. Oscar De La Hoya said, hey, I want to exercise the arbitration part of the contract. If you want to arbitrate something, let's go in front of the arbitrators. And that is something that's very uh, fast-tracked. It's quicker to go that way. Let's see what the next legal maneuver is because it's Canelo's turn. How about a victory for De La Hoya and DAZN right now that they didn't even have to do anything to earn? (laughs) The judge just did it for him, at least right now, on the Canelo lawsuit. Stay tuned on that one. Uh, One other interesting topic before we get to the fights you wrote late in the week about the upcoming October World Lightweight Unification, if not undisputed, depending on what you consider the WBC lightweight champion. The Sally Lomachenko, Teofimo Lopez. And you wrote about the fact that Lopez realizes and has now put it out there this is a one-and-done. There is no automatic rematch clause for either side here. Marquise, tell us more.
2: Gotta love winner-take-all belts for the Undisputed Championship, TJ. Uh, yeah, there's no rematch clause for this big-time fight between Teofimo Tele- Lopez and Vasily Lomachenko, which is weird only because you would think a fight of this magnitude there would be a rematch clause in it. I mean, every big fight has a rematch clause in it at this point. But the theory that's going on with this fight, it being a one-and-done, and let, let's say, for an example, uh, TFM Lopez, right now, as we speak, uh, talking TJ, is a three to one, roughly about a three to one underdog, depending on who you look at. Bavada, I think, it has like a 270, 280, give or take for Lopez. If you want to put any money down on that. If he, in the event, wins these belts from Lomachenko would, to become undisputed, the theory has always been, and it's been this for a long time at this point, that Lomachenko was going to move back down to 130. And at, with this loss, win or, win or lose, actually, so that was the theory behind that. So that makes sense in that terms of so, like, a rematch. So why?
0: I mean, he's already beaten Luke Campbell uh, a year ago, the last time that he fought as a lightweight. If he yeah. beats Lopez as a lightweight, Gervonta Davis is potentially sitting there for a mega mega fight that would be, you know, a lucrative pay per view whole thing. Yes, PBC and Top Rank would have to come together. Are they? I mean, is he trying to move back down to 130 to not worry about fighting Gervonta Davis? I mean, what would be, in your mind, what's the motive to move back down after you've had two world championship fights at the higher weight class?
2: The theory of what TJ Williams wanted to move down was actually at the time was just competition. I don't know if he really wants to fight with Tank Davis at some point. I'm sure he does at some point down the line if he just wants to make it happen, and if they make it happen. But I didn't think that was going to. I, I didn't think that be him faking, f- facing Femen Lopez was going to be in the cards to begin with. Let alone actually down the line facing Davis. I've always thought with Lomachenko, he was just going to win these belts and then either move down and just give these back up and have them up for grabs, or he was going to win these and just call it a day. It was one of those. Two, it was. It was one of the two. And I'm looking forward to seeing how this all shapes out now. Because if, say for example, Lomachenko stays at 135 and wins, and then and there's, for some reason or another, if there's no rematch. You would think, there would, depending on how the fight goes, if it's a great fight or a close fight, dude, it had to be a rematch that you could make in house and it'd just be easier than said than done, right? You would think. Yeah. So, well, but, um,
0: but by the same token, he may have bigger aspirations and they may have a deal at 130 to move back down. It'd just be very surprising that he's fighting a second world title fight at the higher weight and then move back down. But we'll see. Uh, yeah. We'll see what he chooses to do on that front. few more minutes. Marquise Johns with me. BigFightWeekend.com podcast. I'm TJ Reeves. Again, find the site. BigFightWeekend.com where Marquise is the senior writer. I help him out uh, as well with all of our coverage, uh, including for the fights this weekend. Uh, here we go with another PBC on Showtime, Premier Boxing Champions Showtime card, Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the main event and uh, and also an intriguing fight on the undercard as well. Erickson Lubin, Terrell Gauche uh, are the are the two fighters in a junior middleweight title eliminator, WBC 154-pound eliminator fight. What do you make of this in the main event?
2: It's going to be a close fight, TJ, and the, the thing on the line for this fight at 154 is it's the... Uh, the uh, WBC uh, Super silver welterweight title, which that means in layman's terms. It's a it's a placeholder title for someone down the line for the WBC belt, which is currently in the hands of Jamar Chalo. Yep. Uh, so what will happen with that fight is the winner of that uh, Charlo Rosario contest more than likely will be the next mandatory out of this winner of Lubin, Tarot uh, Gish- Gache. Min... actually. And mm-hmm. I- I'm looking forward to that because I always thought This fight was originally going to be for one of those, you know, like most PBC cards, TJ, you may have heard this before, one of those WBA regular titles, (laughs) but apparently this is for the WBC (laughs) ranking instead because the original thinking I had before going into this was that in the event that this was like a play-in fight for the WBA where like the winner would get Julian Williams for a WBA eliminator and the loser would more like he gets get someone like a a Jarrett Hurd or a Tony Harrison down that whole neck of the ones because that's literally TJ 1 through 7 in the WBA. Now, this is all for WBC. That's all out the window. And they're all going up, chasing after uh, Charlo's belt at some point, already winner of Charlo Rosario.
0: All right. So, again, uh, Lubin, the favorite, uh, for our friends at Sports Gambling Podcast. We'll go over a couple of the numbers. Lubin, minus 500 here. Gauchet, maybe uh, plus 350, a former U.S. Olympian. What, I mean, realistically, does he have a realistic shot at the upset here against Lubin? And if so, how how might that come about in the main event? On Saturday night?
2: The, the only way uh, Gachet has a chance in this fight, TJ, if it goes to the cards. If this is one of those contested fights where it goes – because la- his last contest that I've seen him in was an, a, a very bizarre draw that he had. I think he may have won the fight against Austin Trout last year. And with Lubin, Lubin's a favorite in this because he's the younger, younger fighter, and he's supposed to, supposed to knock this guy out. And I don't think that's going to happen ever. I think this is going to go to the cards decision-wise. It's one of those fights, TJ, where we'll see what version of Lubin we have. Lubin's on the quest to get back his revenge from Charlo's. So I'm looking to see how he makes a statement in this fight for that. The one fight on this fight, TJ, I want to mention for you, of note that I wanted to pay attention to personally, it's, it's not a bad card on Shotum Up and Down, actually, so check out all free fights. But the young prospect at Walter White, Jerome Boots Ennis yep. is in action on the co-main event against... Uh, Juan Carlos Abreu, and that's going to be a big step of fight for him because this will fight for – and this will finally put him uh, pretty much in the top 15 caliber of fighters at welterweight to keep an eye on people's radars because he's been calling out names like Crawford and Ortiz and everyone at 147, the, the Crawford and everybody else. And he wants a piece of the action, and this is one of those fights that's going to get him one step closer to that.
0: And in is a very talented fighter, very colorful always with the trunks and the get up, got a lot of showmanship. He is minus five thousand, by the way. Five (laughs) minus five thousand, bet five thousand dollars to win a hundred is what that means. So heavily favored to beat Juan Carlos Abreu in the Welterweight 10-round co-main event. Again, that is Showtime Premium Cable, PBC on Showtime for Saturday. The ESPN card uh, coming out of the top-ranked bubble, that is uh, a 10-round—I'm un- I'm unclear is it a 10-round or a 12-round— 140-pound junior welterweight showdown. We'll find out. Jose Pedraza in action. He was in action earlier this year in the bubble and got a win over Mikkel uh, um uh, And so now he's fighting Javier Molina. And Pedraza very much wants to get back into the picture. It's super lightweight. Uh, uh, what about this? This is a fairly even main event fight on the top-ranked card, Marquise Johns.
2: Absolutely, TJ. This is actually going to be more like the, of the closer fights on the cards that, that you see all this weekend. Uh, Padraza taking on Molina is one that – where Padraza pretty much it's, – it's the classic cliché. and I, I've grown to hate this cliché in boxing, TJ, but you hear it all the time. It's the classic crossroads fights for these two fighters, and that's the angle that they're working with on this. And the angle with it being it is going to get these guys uh, pretty much up slowly but surely back into the pic, title picture at 140. As we all know, the 140 title picture at this point is pretty much log jammed, and we're all waiting eventually for the match between uh, Ramirez and Josh Taylor if he gets past his mandatory as well later on this month. But until then, these guys are look, we're just waiting in the wings afterwards.
0: All right, again, so that's Pedraza and Molina in the main event. On the undercard, Fa Ajagba, a, Ajogba, a yes. fighter who has just come to top rank. Uh, as a free agent from Premier Boxing Champions, big heavyweight, big punching heavyweight, he's been involved in a couple of wild fights uh, in his recent past. He is heavily favored, and you think is probably going to do a number on Jonathan Rice here in the uh, in the on the undercard fight.
2: Absolutely, TJ. He's going to make his Top Rank debut at heavyweight with the new with the new uh, promotion with Top Rank, and it's interesting with his fights, TJ. We're going to see how he stacks up against uh, Jonathan Rice, who. Uh, you remember, how, TJ, I'm always telling you how some fights are, you know, considered with favorable opposition. Yes, Th- this is one of them. So we'll see how this stands up. The, the, what they're looking for with a on this is if he's using his footwork, and if he can make, if he can close the show out and pretty much uh, tighten, shorten the space on this guy, uh, Rice, in the, in the, in the, and and if any of that happens, this will be a quick work for uh, a Jogba. And it's interesting with this down the line, T.J. With a Jogba being with top ring now, he, he joins the other stable of, of heavyweights where they, uh, prospects as well, where was maybe we'll see down the line of the film, uh, maybe once, once everything clears up with COVID, a name to keep in mind on like Oscar Rivas is a guy that he signed earlier this year, uh, in terms of like fights who was in, who was in, uh, in action last year. Most people well know against, uh, Dillian white who, uh, came up short on his end, but did knock him down with an uppercut. seems like Mm. a pattern there. So he's one of those, uh, Jack was an interesting guy, TJ, Funny has has fun fights to be in. We'll see if his defense improves along the lines, and that's been the, his big issue for the most part when he was with PBC fights. That's what happened with the wild fight he had last year on the undercard with uh, Harris and Charlo. And we'll see if that picks up from here.
0: All right. So again, uh, a jog by in a scheduled ten rounder on the on the Pedraza main event card. Top yep. rank uh ESPN in the Vegas bubble coming on Saturday and a by again is minus 3000 for gambling purposes to win easily uh, in that heavyweight uh, co- uh, you know, undercard fight, not a necessarily a, a co-feature, but uh, he's a big punching heavyweight. We'll see how that one goes. All right, uh, listen, uh, we've had a we've had a lot of fun covering a lot of ground here. Huge pay-per-view week next week with the Charlo brothers on the rare split pay-per-view that'll be going on. I look forward to previewing that. Plug away about the site and why fans who are hearing us on the podcast need to be reading more at BigFightWeekend.com.
2: Absolutely, TJ. Bigfightweekend.com, your source for all things boxing, past, present, and future, uh, in terms of boxing news and stories. Uh, We'll keep an eye on everything going on over the weekend, if anything, interesting developments. Hopefully, something a lot more interesting that comes out uh, this weekend in, in terms of fight schedules, as opposed to these these miserable match <laughs> boxing USA and in, in overseas cards they put out. Right, TJ. Nothing. Nothing says depressing about uh, fight cards being announced when three out of the four fight cards were already predetermined already from mat on overseas. That's a little disappointing. And the uh, the zone card uh, for the USA version uh, is not that much better. It, it, it's the, it's that, it's that line I say on the on the internet, TJ. You, Uh, Keep the same energy when the fight cards aren't that good. These aren't that good.
0: So Matchroom is trying, and and really for, again, DAZN, which we keep belaboring this. They're floundering. They need fight cards. It looks like Eddie Hearn's going to have at least two more, if not three more, in the United States before the end of the year. And the the shocking thing is that Golden Boy uh, can't get the Ryan Garcia fight done and have it be on DAZN, much less in the United States. They can't get Canelo in the ring. They're having to rely on Eddie Hearn at Matchroom to do fights for them in the United States. And uh, and the likes of, of Daniel Jacobs and a couple of others are going to headline on those fights. At least Matchroom trying to put out a product right now. But I don't know if it's going to be enough to salvage DeZone in in October, November, December. Who's going to keep plunking down the money for DeZone? We'll see. We'll yeah. see as this all unfolds. And again, we love the history of the sport. I know I speak for you on that, and we were talking to Joe Cortez about this at the beginning of the podcast, but whether it's the Ali Spinks rematch, uh, Leonard versus uh, Hearns, the first showdown that happened back all the way in 1981, um, we, we love this. Uh, we, we love talking about the history of the Sweet Science, right?
2: Absolutely, TJ, especially when it's a, a great fight from, from yesteryear, because the fight's No matter how old they are, they will always stand the test of time, regardless of any era. And that's the one thing at at BigFightWeek.com where you keep an eye on all the time and keep writing for.
0: And we do know that earlier this week, a bunch of Canelo anniversaries, including the only loss of his career to Floyd Mayweather and also the two Triple G fights were earlier this week. The first one ending in a draw, the second one a controversial majority decision. And will we ever get a Canelo, Gennady Golovkin third fight or not? Lawsuits aside, arbitration aside... But yeah, the anniversaries plural of those two fights earlier this week. So the historical pieces that are there, love the news and the insight, BigFightWeekend.com. Marquise, thank you as always. I appreciate your time, your efforts. Keep up the good work, including with these cards this weekend, PBC on Showtime and the top-ranked ESPN card in Vegas. We'll be reading it all on the site. Thank you, sir. Absolutely, TJ. Thanks so much. Again, follow him at Week Sauce Radio. Follow us at Big Fight Weekend as well. Thanks also to Hall of Fame boxing referee Joe Cortez on with us earlier on the podcast. Again, subscribe away. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe. Ding, it comes automatically to you whenever there's a new one. We're usually in the preview mode before the weekend. But if it if it warrants, if it's enough, we'll come back in a recap mode after a big weekend of fights. On a Sunday or a Monday, we've done that before. Charlo Brothers Big Pay-Per-View next weekend. We look forward to previewing that next week. Enjoy the fights this week and this weekend coming up in uh, the Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut and the Vegas Bubble. And for now, we're done. here as part of the Big Fight Weekend podcast. Bye.